good evening, everybody, uh, and welcome to Punch Kick Choke Chat. Um, I'm one of the hosts, Randy Dauphin, and you'll notice that one of our hosts is missing uh, today, that being Sean Benson. And, you know, in addition to being an outstanding martial artist, uh, Sean Benson is also a very successful actor. And the last minute, that job, the way it goes, he got contacted by his agent and they've flown him out to Los Angeles to do uh, one episode on the Mayans. And he's posting it out. We're also really happy for him because he's gotten his second season of, um, I think it's, what is it, Jesse James? No, Billy the Kid. Billy's Kid. Billy the Kid. Yeah, so we're missing Sean, but we're really happy for him that he's off uh, uh, doing what he's doing. So this is one of our host chats. Uh, and one of the things we always like is if you have questions for us, that you send those questions in to Robert. And then we like it if you want to come on the screen and ask us the question. It always makes us happy to go around and, and be talking to you about those things. But first, I'm going to quickly introduce Sensei Legacy and Sensei Suino. If you want all their accolades, you can Google their names or go to our previous episodes and you'll see them. But uh, I'm really like, on my screen, I'm wedged in between my two senses. So um, Sensei Suino has been my Iaido teacher for 30 years now. Uh, and he is an eighth degree black belt in that martial art. In addition, he runs the Japanese Martial Arts Center and he's a sixth down in judo, very accomplished in jujitsu. One of the things we never talk about also does karate, but one of the things we never talk about is that he's actually a shodan in kudo as well. And if you don't know what that is, that's Japanese archery. So yeah. he's a shodan in Japanese archery. And then on my left on the screen is uh, Hanchi Legacy, who I was thinking about it. I only really ever address him as Hanchi Legacy on this show. I just call him Sensei everywhere else because I figure that title Hanchi is um, the title for all the other people. I'm close enough that I just call him Sensei Legacy all the time. And he never complains about that. He seems to like it. And Sensei Legacy founded Legacy Shoranru back in 1971. He's a 10th degree black belt. He's trained with some of the most prominent karate instructors on the globe. I've been lucky enough to train with some of them because he's let me tag along. So if you think they're not good, I'm happy to set you straight because they're really good. And actually Sensei Legacy is a showdown with Sensei Suino and Iaido as well. So uh, our dojos are really well connected and um, I love that. So we're gonna jump off with uh, our own little tirade here. We got a lot of events that are coming up and <coughs> The next one that's coming up for us is February 18th, and it's the Matsumura Challenge, which is uh, the Legacy Shoranru Karate Martial Arts Tournament. And I don't know what sets it. You've been doing that now for 45 years. It's about 45 years, probably. Can't even think back that far. <laughs> so then let's start with that. What do you have? One, what made you want to start a karate tournament since the legacy? And two, what are some of the fond memories you have from, from the Matsumura Challenge? Oh, well, we, uh, once I got a dojo going, we used to have a, um, and we still do it periodically or almost every year. We used to have a Shi'ai outdoors at our camp. So we just put, uh, you know, small markers on the lawn to to mark where a dojo was and we we did the outdoors and just to you know in Richard Kibb's book it says that most people train indoors but training outdoors will always give you a different 
look at the environment, you know, when you're, when you're with open or closed environment, things are different. So uh, we used to do it outdoors like that. And then people started to come to that. And then they asked, they, they told me, I should have a Shi'i of my own at some other time in the, in the building, et cetera. We just started doing that. That was in the very early 70s. Well, I sure am happy that you did. Since you know, you've been to it before, I remember you doing um, a really good Iaido demo with uh, uh, Sensei Miller and Sensei Holland. Um, do you have any memories from the Matsumura Challenge that you want to share? A bunch. I can't remember how many times I've come to it. Not not that many, a handful. Um, but I remember a lot of the demos. Um, some of them are really fun to watch, really dynamic performances of kata. Um, uh, the fighting, everything from the cute, you know, I don't know how young they were, but I remember really young kids going at it, being cute, punching each other. Um, I met Hanchi Montalvo there. A lot of other people that are in our bigger, our bigger martial arts circle. Um, yeah, I'm just, it's, it's camaraderie for me. I just love going up there and seeing all the folks. Thanks. You know, for me, the Matsumore Challenge is the place where I, I cut my teeth and learned to be a competitor, learn because the, the competition there is really good. I want to point out our Shi'ai is, uh, it's an invitational only tournament. You can't just show up at the door, pay your money and walk in and compete. You have to be invited by Sense of Legacy to come and compete at that tournament. And so we like like-minded dojos to come, which it's always fair. The refereeing is a high caliber and the competition is a high caliber as well. And for me, one of the things I really liked was, uh, uh, Sensei Bill Adams used to come and always be the, the head referee. And he said to Sensei Legacy, you know, I'm not going to say that the people who win here would win the world championships, but anybody who wins at the Matsumura Challenge would be placing somewhere in the top three or four in the world championships. And that's a guy who referees all over the place. And I was happy because that year that he said that I won. So I was like, I was like, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> One other thing I want to share about that tournament is that the while the competition is fierce, Sensei Legacy once said it's a celebration of martial arts, and that really rings true. Like when you're there, Sensei Copeland is there, Sensei Wilfred Seradin is there, Sensei Doug Knispel comes, and while we compete against each other all really hard, whoever wins at the end, all the other people are around them, patting them on the back. And like the competition goes out the window. Then we go out for dinner and we all have a good time. It's all the clubs come together and just really celebrate martial arts. So that's one of the things I really love about our tournament. Yeah. Can you um, share a few details, like the real simple practical stuff? Where is it? What are the hours? All that kind of stuff. Just so anybody who's listening, maybe wants to make the trip can have a shot at it. Yeah. Well, it, if, uh, if they're coming, they've already been invited and they know those details. And if you're watching and you haven't been invited, then it's on February 18th. It's at Saunders Secondary School in London. Um, it's gonna, we're gonna do pre-registration. So a week before you gotta have all your students information in because we like to set the divisions up. There will be a registration at, at the door, but you're going to want to do the pre-registration because it's going to be pricey if you come to the door and we have to start shuffling things around for you. Um, we're going to start, we'll have the Black Belt meeting probably at 10. Divisions will start at 10.30. The goal will be to get everybody out of there by 4, 
And yeah, I think that's it. So if you're interested and you are watching this, please reach out to Sensei Legacy and ask him if you can come. And if he says yes, then you'll be in. And if he says no, try again next year. <laughs> I was just going to say that because we made a lot of new friends at Capital Conquest and that are deserving to come to our dojo. Not that we are, you know, above anyone, but uh, we like to keep it clean. We like to have people come back that are, don't cheat. They're fair when they referee. They don't just see, you know, their student. So that way, it's like you said, mind light. I would rather have my student lose than me cheat for for them to win. That type of a thing. So we do have a lot of new friends. I hope the people from Quebec. It's a long trip, but I hope the people from Quebec, uh, one or two of them, start coming. That would be great to have the French connection, so to speak. Yeah, you know, Sensei, when I send the invite, I always say to them, please let us know if there's anything we can do to secure your attendance. So, for example, you can sleep in the dojo or you can, like, you know, if you need a place to stay, we can find accommodations for you, things like that. Because the most important thing is that we're all together celebrating martial arts. Yeah. We could, like, I could host a couple of the, the senseis, I'm sure you could, and uh, some of our other black belts are you dead hey i i should also mention that uh i don't even know that since the knows this yet but hanchi sai is coming to our tournament this year so hanchi alan sai is gonna he's doing a big tour in quebec and ontario teaching in january and february and he's ending it here in kitchener and he's ending it two days before our tournament and he's going to be coming as a guest to the tournament so it'll be really nice to have him there great you know, our our stick friend from uh, Europe, the guy who does the sticks. Johan Skelberg. Yeah, he's in uh, Lévis, Quebec already. Wow. He's there. Yeah. I saw Mike Wall busting his chops, and we're glad that he's out of Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so next event before, I know there's some questions coming in, but I do want to talk about one other event that's happening in February, which is Sensuino's event. That event is February 25th, and that is the JMAC Winter Edition Crucible, which I've been to everyone except for one, damn it. I can't say I've gone to everyone, but I've been to everyone except the first one. Um, and I can talk about it forever, but since it's, you know, why did you decide to create the Crucible? What made, what made you want to do that? And what moments stand out for you in the Crucible? 100% will answer that as soon as I finish introducing you. Uh, because we weren't able to do that at the beginning. Everybody knows uh, Randy Dauphin Sensei. Um, more than 30 years of Iaido training with me, more than 30 years of Shunru Karate training with Hanchi Legacy. He's a seventh Don in Karate, fourth Don in Iaido. Um, uh, also trains BJJ, uh, also is a fitness fanatic. Um, he and I are sort of co-collaborators on a lot of long distance uh, fitness fitness uh, projects, including currently we're both involved in what's called the 75 hard, which is 75 days with a, the diet, no alcohol, a gallon of water a day, 10 pages of, of reading, many other things. You can certainly look it up. And uh, our particular group that's doing the 75 hard is also fundraising for Big Brothers Big Sisters, um, right? Is that the correct charity? And uh, I encourage everybody to, uh, to help out a little bit. It's a great worthy cause. I've helped them out before and I've never regretted the time or the money spent on that. So, so you know, we should mention that that's uh, the 
former guest and former world champion Brad Fowler's brainchild. He's the one who pulled us all into that. So, yeah. Yep. And if you ever start thinking about slacking, all you got to do is see the post from him or some of these other guys. There's no slacking going on in this particular group of 75 hard. Um, the JMAC Crucible Winter Edition 2023, February 25th of this year. Um, the JMAC Crucible is a 12-hour lockdown event. It starts at 6 a.m. and ends at 6 p.m. Participants have to agree to come to give their all, um, to work cooperatively and intensely for 12 hours, and not to leave unless they leave in an ambulance. And that always makes people smile, uh, but actually that has happened. Uh, <laughs> last one, yeah. But uh, happily, the the young stud who uh, who basically took himself out, he took his knee out because of some some uh, just unused to certain techniques. He um, went to the hospital and was back in two hours and watched the rest of the crucible, which to me is a sign of the right attitude in martial arts. Uh, but we train typically a range of different martial arts skills interspersed with some fitness work, flexibility work, um, uh, mental and spiritual development. And uh, uh, the last couple and this one will generally go from uh, striking at a distance, closer striking, clinching, takedowns and throws, grappling on the ground. And that's the progression. It makes good sense because when you're exhausted and you're on the ground, there's no place to fall. Uh, but everybody learns. I always say nobody leaves unchanged. You learn physically, you learn mentally, you learn spiritually. Um, and it is delightful to see how some people that come into that event really unsure whether they're going to be able to do it. They manage to get through 12 hours of freaking martial arts training. And if you can do that, it makes other things a little bit easier. So, yeah, I don't know. Hey, Randy, uh, anything you want to add to that description? No, I just, uh, there's always, when it's, when you start, there's a level of anxiety when you come in, like people, you can feel it in the room. You can feel like there's this level of anxiety. And then at a certain point, oh, Gesundheit Sensei. Thank you, sir. At, at a certain point, people just all start giving themselves over to whatever the next thing is. They stop looking to the end and just start paying attention to what they're doing right now. And at the end, there's just always this uh, feeling of exhilaration, you know, uh, achievement. But the one thing that I really like about it is just you feel really bonded to the people in that room that you did that experience with. You know, you're you're kind of like part of a group of people who did something that the other people didn't want to do or were too afraid to do or found an excuse. So that's that's what I would add to it. And it's uh, if you're thinking about it, well, this one sold out. So, again, just like the. <laughs> Like the Matsumore challenge. If you want to call Census Fino and beg him to let you get in, he might let you get in, but we're already sold out. We were sold out months before. Um, like I think within like four weeks, you had the the damn thing sold out. Lots of people come from Canada to go to it. Um, yeah, that's it. I can't wait. I am so excited for it. I've been telling my students, look, uh, it's officially full. Uh, but I can be bribed. So if you know me well enough, you just have to figure out what it's going to take. <laughs> <laughs> so I see either Robbie or... Um, so Mario has put a question in here. And if we're all good, let's turn Mario's camera on. And <clears throat> what his question is. 
or Robert, tell me why we're not going to turn his camera on. Uh, there he is. Got to unmute yourself, Mario. Yes. Hi, everybody. Hey, Mario. Hey, Mario. Great to see everybody online. Long time no see. Long time no see, Sensei. <laughs> I have a question for Hanchi Legacy and for Sensei Suino. In all the years that you've been training, which sensei do you feel you learn the most from? We'll start with Sensei Suino and we'll end up with Hanchi Legacy. Well, that's the easiest question in the world for me. Um, uh, Yamaguchi Sensei was by far the most important uh, mentor figure that I've had in my life in any walk, whether it be college or, or outdoors or anything else. He just, um, he taught me more techniques, taught me more better on how to think uh, about technique and better about what it means to be a, um, uh, uh, a man and a leader than, than anybody else I've met. Simple. Hanchi? <laughs> well, with me, it's, uh, I have a different situation um, where I had an original sensei and he quit. Then I had another sensei and he died. Um, um, but I think three people were equally responsible for making me uh, or teaching me what I know. And the first one was Benny Allen, which I believe I'm, I'm most like, um, because he, he actually built me from the ground up. And then I had um, Richard Kim, the guy who penned the Wepsonless Warrior. And he was more like a Shingon priest. So I learned a lot about history, philosophy, and uh, different stuff like this more spiritual in a way, things about Buddha or God, etc. And then um, on a physical level and on other levels, bunkai type levels, I, I ended up uh, around the fourth dan at uh, being stumped a bit as to where I go now after training hard in that. And um, I, I Gentleman by the name of Terry Macaron from Long Island, New York. He was a good friend of mine and he was uh, a very well known and high level black belt. And I went to him. I said, Look, I'm sort of stumped here and I'm looking, but I don't feel my martial arts is complete. And he said to me, You're looking for the Okinawan white crane. And um, there's a guy down in the southern United States by the name of Anthony Sandoval. And that is the guy that you should go and see. So I went to him and then after 40 and 50, I started to learn from him, which gave me the softer, the understanding of uh, soft martial arts and um, martial arts that require a little bit uh, less physical activity, but a little bit more um, technique and uh, maturity. So um, I would say those three persons were equally responsible for help, helping me to get me where I am and my understanding. Thank you. So Mario, listen, uh, I, I appreciate the fact that both my senses are on this call. And so you didn't want to pose that question to me in that way. But I know that Sensus Fino will not be offended when I say, 
that my bond with Sense of Legacy is something that it happened like instantaneously from the time I was 18 years old, right? Like when I walked in the door with Sense of Legacy, we just instantly had a very strong connection and bond. And I was lucky he that he liked me and he felt close to me and he just took me everywhere, right? Like everywhere. Sense of Suino and I, I love Sense of Suino with all of my heart, same way. But our bond grew over time. Like I was one of many in a group of people. And then eventually, and I tell people that, you know, a sense of legacy is like my dad raising me. And sense of Swindo is like my older brother who's always like, you know, don't do that. Don't step there. Do this. Like, and I'm blessed to have them, them both. And one thing I, since we're talking about this, Mario, I'm going to take your question and you can hang out with us for a second. I'm going to take your question and I'm going to build on it a little bit. And I'm going to say that for me, outside of Sense of Legacy and Sense of Suino, you've heard me say this before, Mario, it won't surprise you. There are three other very impactful martial artists, senior martial artists in my life who've been around me. Like, I just, I idolize them. I love them. I adore them. I look up to them and they've helped me so much. And those three people are Sensei Copeland. You've heard me say that. Hanchi Montavo, you've heard me say that. And Sensei Legacy's teacher, Sensei Sandoval. Those three people have impacted me on, in such a deep way and continue to, right? Like they continue to. It's not like they've, they've stopped. They still do. So I guess while we're, and I'm going to turn this question over to you, Mario. So you just listen here. So Sensei Suino, you first. Outside of Yamaguchi Sensei, or maybe outside of your initial instructors, who are three martial artists that have impacted you, or one or two, like in very meaningful ways that's influenced your martial arts? Well, I, I, I mean, there's there's an easy uh, this pyramid below Yamaguchi Sensei. It's a it's pretty easy pyramid for me. Um, you know, I spent four years in Japan training with Sato Shizuya Sensei, who was one of the original uh, founders of Kokusai Budo in the International Martial Arts Federation and um, also created the system called Nihon Jiu-Jitsu. So he was a great martial arts influence, a great an analyst, and a great way of connecting with the bigger world of martial arts outside of Iaido. Um, in the judo world, um, Tabata Sensei, who you met um, in Yokohama at the dojo, who now is the personification of Yoda, um, this dude, this sensei is so remarkable. Um, I think I have told you this story before, but when I was in Japan between 88 and 92, he would be at the dojo a couple times a week, at least at the same days that I would be. And I would train with him. He's, he's, he was about five foot two in those days. And I think his legs were about 16 inches long, um, which meant his hips were very close to the ground. So he was hard to throw and he was very good at throwing other people. Um, uh, and he was a son of a bitch, you know, he would grab me ahead of time and make me do the warmups with him so that I couldn't rest. Right. And just push, 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 push. And this is when I'm 28, 29 years old and he's 52 or something at the time. I mean, just ridiculous. And then, um, my favorites, I have many stories about him, but one of my favorites is, um, in the Kodokan, when you want to rank up, one of the things you have to do is you got to beat a bunch of other aspirants, right, at that rank or at a rank above you, and you got to rack a certain number of victories up. And uh, one day on a Thursday or something, I was talking to Tabata Sensei, and I'm like, hey, Sensei, you know, 
what are you doing this weekend? And he goes, oh, I'm going up to Tokyo to, to put in some fights for my go down. And I go, oh, that's cool. I go, how, how long is that going to take you? And he goes, I don't know. Most people go up and it takes them a few months, sometimes six months or a year to rack up their totals. So the next week I go in on a Tuesday and he's down at the dojo shooting the breeze with some of the guys. And I go, hey, Tabata sensei, how did it go this week? He's pretty good. And then one of the other guys goes, no, he doesn't want to tell you this. He goes, he got all his, rat, all his fights in one day. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a classic example of him. So I could go on and on about these guys, but um, I would say that sort of Yamaguchi sensei, Sato sensei, and Tabata sensei were my, were my closest influences, uh, you know, in actual martial arts that I was devoting myself to while I was in Tokyo. Thanks for the question. I like when you say about Tabata Sensei, when people would do dangerous things, he would go out and do the exact same thing to them and hurt them with what they hurt somebody else with. Yeah, and not maliciously. I mean, I guess it probably was malicious, but he never betrayed himself. He never seemed to be angry about it. It was just matter of fact for him. He just look, you know, and he just walk over there. And, you know, he's he's in his 50s and there's, there, you know, these college boys that are competing in the world games and the Olympics and stuff like that. And they're stupid. And he just goes over and goes, okay, well, this is how you wind up somebody's leg. How do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> Sensei Legacy, how about you? Outside of your instructors, who are some of the other martial artists that were around you that really impacted your martial arts and helped you um, to change things maybe? Or Yeah, well, maybe in my youth um, and rightfully so. Uh, Wally Soki, who, if you ask anyone from back in my era, probably I would say 90% of people would say that he was the guy that everybody looked up to. So, to, to, I mean, with a, a direct result from his teaching and that. And again, um, I would have to say Sensei Suino, because, and then this is not uh, a nose up to him thing. I was um, in New Hampshire, I believe, could have been in Boston, I forget exactly where it was. I went to um, a seminar to learn the idol, or actually it was to learn just a bunch of different weapons. And um, once I saw Master Yamaguchi, I, uh, it was like, remarkable. It was something that grasped my attention because of the quality of the EI. And then I had to make a decision on if I was going to do EI, who would I ask? What instructor would I get? So I set myself to, I wasn't against going somewhere in the United States, uh, in New Hampshire or California or what, because distance was never you know, something that held me back. So I looked and then I just happened to see this guy. He was relaxed. He sort of did his talking, literally. Lots of noise coming from, from the sword. And uh, seemed to be in really good control and, you know, very close to the master. So, and that ended up being census, we know. Whom I, I, I trained with and I have to admit that at one time in my career, I. I had to stop because I had other things on my on my plate, and in a way, I regret it. But I, I would like to be able to take another shot at that, another another 
charge of just learning the soils. Such a calming, well, it looks uh, deadly. It is very calming. It's, it's almost the complete opposite of, of um, karate. It's so aggressive and people are banging on each other, but the sword is very, very calming. And I would, I appreciate learning a lot of things about coming to mind. And if you ever have the opportunity to see him demonstrate the sword, put everything down and go and watch. And uh, you'll probably call me and say, thank you for telling me. It's not a made up story. Everyone here will tell you on this call that have seen him do the sword. Very, very. Well, Hachi, you, as I'm sure you know, right, our dojo is your dojo and uh, my home is your home. So when time is right, we will either train together or spend time together, I'm sure. And that'll be sooner rather than later. Um, and just, I wanna, I wanna um, fill in another gap on that story. That was Boston where we, where we first met. And um, uh, I've told this in different versions, but you know, when you're looking around in the world for people who, who aren't wearing the classical martial arts as a costume, but when they actually have internalized it and it's in their skeleton, that's a very rare thing. And it was like a Kurosawa movie to go to that event in Boston and see 300 martial artists, some of whom claim to be very high level black belts, running around like the peasants in Seven Samurai, um, trying to wear the clothing of classical martial arts and seeing Hanchi legacy in the room and recognizing in a very short period of time that he wore the, that he wasn't wearing the classical martial arts, that they had become part of who he was um, in spite of the fact that everybody else was waving their credentials around like they were a big deal. Um, and when you're looking around in the wilderness, it's not only reassuring to know someone else is out there with the same values, but to see someone and have them present in your life for more than 30 years means that uh, it makes it uh, possible to recognize that you can do better. So Hanchi, I thank you for that, uh, that influence since we've met. So Mario, I'm going to turn it around on you. You don't have to go on, but outside, I know these, the three of us have all, but outside of the three of us who are a couple, you've been around now for a while. You've been in martial arts for like five, six years. You do Iaido, you do karate, you've gone to, I call you the collector. Um, <laughs> But uh, but uh, who are a couple of names that you really like and admire outside of this group of people that, that you've seen and trained with or been around? Well, for the short period of time that I've been been in martial arts and a couple of the sessions that I've been to, the world Kubuto, it was like an unlimited amount of people that I trained with that over the two-day period. They were fantastic. I can't ignore anybody in our dojo black belts other students beside me that you know help we help each other move forward and of course the three of you like you you all three of you have been a big inspiration for me that keeps me going every day and keeps me coming to the dojo but other than that i don't have the name dropping because i don't i'm not in in the <laughs> i'm not in it long enough i can't name drop um, Sensei uh, Hanchi Montalvo is great. And I train with him. It's it's funny. I call Mario the collector because everybody who's a Hanchi seems to like him, right? Like Hanchi Terrian's always like, I like that. 
I like that uh, Mario guy. Hanshi Sai wanted when he was here wanted to go to some guy's dojo in town here and explain to him why he shouldn't give Mario a hard time. And I'm like, no, Hanshi Sai, don't. We don't need to go do that, right? But <laughs> yeah, everybody likes Mario. Everybody likes the guy. So anyway, Mario, thanks for coming on and uh, asking the question. Mario's in Florida too, so blank his camera. We're irritated with him because it's warm there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um okay so that's it yeah so um if you see sense of legacies holding up a book we've through this through punch kick choke chat a number of the guests are authors and our all of our libraries are getting fatter and fatter and fatter and the book that sense of legacy is holding up is uh sifu lauren bernard's uh shaolin white crane kung fu book and he was nice enough to send that off to us um great guy uh, i haven't read the book yet it's in the stack of the ones i i gotta read um but sensei have you looked through that book yet like is there any yes, comment? I have. Yeah. What comment do you want to make about? I, I, uh, I learned about the different types of cranes of course the chinese crane is um where the Okinawan crane came from, the Shaolin. And uh, I learned a lot. I learned, I, I already knew the history and that the inventor of the crane system was a lady, uh, Fang Jiliang. Um, and then I learned the progression of how it came through and that there are several different cranes that are handled, uh, like the shaking crane, the jumping crane, the flying crane. There, there is like five or six or seven of them. And then he demonstrates a lot of uh, the crane hands and the way that uh, the crane is very fast and deadly. He uses speed as opposed to brute force or anything like that. So yes, I did learn something from it. As, as a matter of fact, I'm sort of trying to put another a white crane, Okinawan white crane book together now. And I'm gonna ask his permission to uh, use some of his wisdom in my book. So uh, if you're, uh, you have to realize, I believe, uh, and this is my personal belief, I, I stand to be corrected, but I think that karate came from the crane. It didn't come from the tiger, or the flying moth, or something else. I think the crane was the basis of um, karate at the beginning when it started out. Well, this is a great moment to segue into something I know we wanted to chat about, which is, you know, a little bit of martial arts history, like, you know, for people who don't know, or even people who do, because a good story is worth hearing over and over again. Um, why don't we kind of wind our way a little bit through the origins of karate, where it came from, where it went, and, and uh, uh, you know, up through the modern era, if we can, if we can do that without talking for 12 hours, we can probably share some good ideas on it. Like, uh, so I would I would challenge maybe uh, anyone who does a different style than we do, probably like Sensi Copeland, that um, he would jump in and tell us what he, for instance, um, when he believed Gojiru was founded when it jumped in to the main street of martial arts. I'll start it off by saying that uh, most people are surprised to find that um, Martial arts basics were invented by uh, Buddha because uh, he found that his um, 
the monks that were uh, meditating with them. They would sit around and meditate for hours at a time, day after the other, and then they start to gain a little bit of weight. And uh, you can always see the Buddhas are usually smiling and a bit round. So they couldn't sit there anymore to do their meditation. So he gave them 12 basic uh, techniques, which may not be exactly like the basics of karate, modern day karate, but somewhat lot like it. And um, that was the first Buddha. And then um, the 38th Buddha, Dharma Taishi or Tamo, uh, walked over the Himalayan mountains into China and brought that there. So it was actually uh, technically started in India and then moved its way to the Shaolin. Uh, yeah, sensitive before. So then, then we got to skip forward thousands of years to how it got to Okinawa, right? And um, you and I have been to Okinawa before and mainland Japan. And if you've ever been to both places, there is a difference between the two places. Um, Okinawa has a much more Chinese feel. The, there's different colors. The cuisine is slightly different. And I believe that's because Okinawa, is, it was colonized by Chinese people. The 36 founding families were Chinese, original families that founded. And that martial arts was a blend of Chinese martial arts and indigenous Okinawan martial arts. Is that correct, Sense Legacy? Yes, it was brought over. Like everybody, originally, I, I believe, again, I could be stand, uh, corrected on this. Uh, I believe that. Everyone that is Asian came from Chinese families. And it was uh, Kusanku, I believe, that, that um, was standing on a bridge and Karate Sakugawa tried to push him off into the water. That didn't go good for him. So uh, that's how our karate line got introduced to, to the 36 families. And then they started passing on the white crane or China, some Chinese martial art. And then it was a bit of a, a lot of people tended to go to China and to learn stuff there to bring it back. For instance, uh, I forgot the person's name, but he was the first character on, in Richard Kim's book. Remember, <clears throat> I forget who it was exactly. But they started going to the Shaolin and bringing things back, and even the Taiwan, because it was it's a short distance to Taiwan, and they dropped a lot of their martial arts off there. Okay, so Sensei, um, this slacker Sydney Dauphin has a question that kind of builds on what we're talking about right now. So I don't know, Robert, put her camera on, or she's grounded. <laughs> hey, how are you hey. doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. So my question was just, I wanted, I'm curious what your favorite story about our masters, the masters is like, what's your, what's just one that you're like, yeah, that's love that one. Or that makes me think of me or someone else, or that's the one I like to tell the most or what's 
Who do you want we to talk. go to direct it so to who you want to answer those questions first? Um, maybe Hanchi Legacy first. Well, I admired everyone because everyone had their own part to donate to the martial arts. Uh, Matsumura was different than Itosu. Uh, Matsumura was more of a guy who was smart. He was smarter. He didn't, didn't really use too much physical too much physical martial art. He, he outsmarted the persons a lot. He scared them into giving up because they thought they were going to be defeated anyway. So, uh, so I like that about him. For instance, he this guy always wanted to to beat him because you know if you beat Matsumura, you're the king, right? He um, said because I'm the king's bodyguard, I'm just gonna have to. If you want to fight, we'll have to go to this island, and uh, because if I get caught just fighting, I could lose my job as king's bodyguard and the trainer of. Um, Arts for King. So he made the guy paddle him out to a, an island and then the, he said, You get out and hook the boat up. The guy got out and then he, he rode away with the boat and left the guy there. From what I understand, for days until somebody, somebody finally went by, he had to survive. Somebody finally went by and picked him up. So that's what um, Matsumura was like. And Itosu, uh, I won't make it long, but Itosu is, is a guy who, who it was common to hear that Itosu doesn't practice the same karate that, that he teaches, or he doesn't teach the same karate that he practices. So that was when Matsu was teaching him the white crane, and he became extremely strong. Like he, he punched his, uh, some guy was trying to break into his, house and you know every when we went to Okinawa and everybody has a wall so he he punched through the gate and grabbed the guy and unlocked the gate and, and grabbed him and he was a uh, he crushed bamboo with his bare hands try that sometime I tried it I, can't be that hard I, can, I couldn't do it I never could do it but apparently he did it and uh, so he, uh, that's where the white crane, in a way, is is being introduced. But yeah, it was once uh, a secret. People started to see it, and then it started to go into the mainstream. Who next, Sid? Thank you. Um, Sensei Suino? Hey, Sydney. Hey. It's great to see you. Um, it's, it's not directly in the karate lineage, but my martial arts hero is Yamaoka Teshu, who's a great samurai and um, a swordsman. After most swordsmanship became something that was done in dojos rather, on the, rather than on the battlefield. But what I like about him was even from an early age, he just didn't put up with any nonsense. He wasn't fooling around. You know, when he was nine years old or something, he had a they said, his teacher said, look, I want you to recite me a poem. And Teshu goes, yeah, it's stupid just to recite a poem for one person. He said, let's gather everybody together in the, in the, in the school and I'll, I'll recite a poem for 100 people. Like he just wasn't, you know, or somebody said, nobody can walk to Narita and back in one night. And he's like, okay, you're on. 
I'm going to do it, right? There's a famous story of him doing that. He outdrank people. He just he just wasn't putting up with any nonsense. Um, but what happened was, is he got so accomplished as a swordsman um, and a calligrapher and a statesman. You know, he was he was uh, he took the principles of everything he knew and he walked it out into all areas of life. And then when he became really really famous, he would just spend his days making calligraphy at a high high pace and selling it and then donating the money to build temples and to help poor people and apparently he was a pauper until the day he died because he just gave away all his riches to help others um and uh there's just a million good things about that so he is my old-time martial arts hero thank you sensei sensei Dofen. so some of my favorite stories are ones that I've heard from Sense of Sfino and Sense of Legacy, but I won't retell them on this on this, <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, recently, Sid, I was, it might have been you who asked me, somebody in class asked me, which, was it you who asked me? Yeah, Sydney asked me, which one of the stories reminds you most of Sense of Legacy? Like something that Sense of Legacy would have done. And my mind went quickly through a bunch of the Karate Masters and the one that came to mind was, I said to Sid, when, when they asked for karate to come to mainland Japan and compete, no offense, Sensusuino, against judo, and Itosu Yatsutsune was asked to send somebody, and he couldn't figure out which one of his students to send. So at 75, he said, I better go do it. And he went at 75 um, to Japan, and, and I thought, that, that I like that story, and it reminds me of Sense of Legacy because that's something he'd do. He'd be the one to say, "No, I'm going to have to go do this. I can't let I can't let other people do it. I'm going to go do it." So, lots of stories there on Matsumura's side. So many, I just resonate with me. I do also want to mention a swordmaster that I'm uh, Miyamoto Musashi for me is somebody who I read everything I can about him as well. And a famous story about him that I like is. He didn't play by the rules. So, you know, these codes of ethics and things like that, when it came to life and death, he just, he was going to live and the other person was going to die. And one of the stories I like is another famous swordsman challenged him and he said, okay, I'll just like the Matsumura, I'll fight you on this island and I'll meet you there tomorrow at eight o'clock. And then when it time came, he didn't show up. He was in a bar drinking and carousing and the guy got furious and he came back and started yelling and screaming at Musashi saying, you were supposed to be there. And then Musashi was like, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot. I'll, I'll come tomorrow at eight o'clock. Go tomorrow. I'll be there tomorrow at eight o'clock for sure. So then finally somebody, the guy who was supposed to row him out to the island came at like 11 o'clock and said like, you're two hours late. He's like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like, so he got in this boat and the guy rowed him out. And while he was rowing out, the story goes that Musashi whittled a boken, a long boken out of an oar. And as he was paddling him to the island, the other guy was so mad, like furious. He came wading out into the water and started screaming and yelling at him. And Musashi went to the end of the boat and jumped out and went bang and hit him on the head and killed him. And then just got back in the boat and told the guy, okay, row me back to the... <laughs> And so one, that shows technique, but two, it shows how he didn't play by the rules and he incensed that guy. He got him out of his fighting mind and into his angry mind 
so that he could defeat him. So I like that story, but I could talk about those types of stories all night. How about you, Sid? You got one that you've been in martial arts your whole life. What, what stories have you heard that you like? Yeah. Um, You're not allowed to say about Yanomini Saru beating up Matsumura. You're not allowed to talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to just because, you know, I it's it's just I was, you know, when I was little and that's just what I clung to, I guess. Um, obviously. I don't know, like there's a, like I love all the stories and there is more. I like the one about Matsumura um, where he just curled into a ball until the people got tired and then got up and brushed himself off and walked away and just went yeah. about his life. Um, people wouldn't understand that, but that's a very good point, really. I, I really like that story. And honestly, one of like, I think it's a beautiful poetic story that his death was on the stairs on his way to work. And I love that story too. And I'm gonna tell that story to somebody one day, like whoever, whoever will whatever hear that. Yeah. So if people don't know, Sydney's sitting in my house right now. My Christine's above her, right? So Christine's upstairs above her and Sydney's home for six months, uh, working and training. And yeah, she's the events we talked about. Sydney will be at them competing. She'll be at the Matsumura Challenge competing. And she'll be at the Crucible uh, training and doing everything there as well. She's very excited about that. Yeah. As will Christine, who's above her. Christine is not sure she wants to compete, but since legacy, you're going to have to give her the lean and tell her that, <laughs> that she has to compete. See, Christine, you just got the eyebrows from Sense of Legacy. And again, she didn't think she could do the Crucible, but she's put her her name on the line and she's going out there to do it for 12 hours and she's going to love it. You can't say you can't do it until you try. That's right. Most of the time you'll you'll find out you can do it. You'll surprise yourself. Okay, Sid. Thank you. See you in an hour or so. Yeah. See you, sir. Love you all. Love, Love you, too. you, Sid. And she's gone. Yeah. Poof. Oh, Sydney, you're not on anymore, but uh, Sensei Copeland just sent in the say hello to Sid. She'll be at your tournament too, Sensei Copeland. She's not gone until after that. So she'll be there competing at yours as well. Yeah, we should talk about that too. So Sensei Copeland's, since I brought it up, um, I don't think Sensei Suna, you've never been to Sensei Copeland's tournament before, have you? No. Um, I've been to it, I've competed in it, I've refereed at it, I've been the center referee of the Black Belt Division at it, um, Sensei Legacy's been to it. Super well-run tournament, great competition. We, our tournament, we've over the years adopted some of the things that he does just because it's like, for example, getting all the divisions set up well beforehand so that when the competitors come in, they're just ready to compete. He stages you before you show up to the ring. Sensei, you got a sense of Lacey. Do you have any uh, memories from Sensei Copeland's tournament? That oh, absolutely well run. 
no nonsense with the referees. It's it's uh, for the most of it, we both run our tournaments the same. They're just and I like the staging. We don't we don't do the staging, but he does that, and it's it's actually it's more organized than the way we do it. I think we're probably going to do that this year, Sensei, because we have an extra gym, so we can stage people in the other gym and then bring them in. That would be good. Yeah. I always go. I always enjoy doing it. So. Yeah. Okay. So one of the memories I have is a, a point of pride is uh, when Sydney competed there the one year, uh, she had a fairly big division of girls for Kata, like maybe eight or 11 girls, and she won that division. And normally, you know, when your kid's competing, you go, I go up in the crowd so that, you know, there's no, but then after she competed in Kata, she was at the head table with Sensei Copeland and they're both waving me down. And so then when I came down and to keep it, keep it brief, none of the girls wanted to fight. And Sydney said, but I got to fight. Like I need to get a fight in. And she looked at Sensei Copeland and said, let me fight in the boys division. And uh, he started to laugh and said to me, what do you think, Randy? Can we let her fight in the boys division? And I said, if you want her in there, she's going to be just fine. Well, at the end of that, she, I think there was like, I don't know, nine or 11, 16 to 18 year old boys. And she ended up winning that division as well. And one of the memory that I have is that after all the moms of the boys were coming down and they all wanted pictures with Sydney and they were all saying like, this is the girl who just beat up my son, right? So that's that's a memory that I have from Sensei Copeland's tournament. The other thing I have a memory of is uh, a person outside of the ring once um, just chirping me while I was refereeing over and over again. And when I turned around and said to him, um, I'll have you removed from the tournament if you keep chirping at me. And he said, oh yeah, who's going to help? Who's going to, you're going to remove me? And Sensei Copeland stood up at the head table and said, he's going to remove you and I'm going to help him remove you. And then that guy stopped chirping right away. So that was also fun memory for me. <laughs> so it says anybody said, so says, you know, do you have a question or a comment or sense of legacy? Do you, we talked about the book, we talked about different things. I just want to make sure I'm not hogging all the talking and the questions and everybody's getting a chance to chip in here with ideas. No, the only other thing I have written on here is uh, if you wanted to mention Capital Conquest in Quebec. Oh, I see. Yeah, so that's, uh, it's not Capital Conquest now, Sensei. It's World Kabuto's World Convention in Levy, okay. Quebec, right? And that's in May. And people have been bugging me about our May training camp, right? The one that we did last year that was successful. And I've gotten a lot of calls of people saying, you're going to do it again, right? You're going to do it this year. And we've decided to forego that this year. We're going to get back to it in 2024 because we're all going up to Levy, Quebec. So we won't be here to be teaching and the instructors are all going to be up there. I got a message today from Hunchitarian and the list of instructors are all the great ones that you've already been training with and more are coming. And they're already at like 500 people registered for that event. So it's you know, again, like it's just, it's going to be a great, if you've never been to Quebec city, Levy Quebec is right across and Quebec city is a beautiful city, uh, good food, very picturesque, lots of history. 
Good cheese curds. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you want poutine, that's the place to go. Nice. Uh, shall we turn to a ask me anything question that came in previously? Ken, that would be a good thing. All right. Well, I'm going to start by asking you if you could have any person come on this show as a guest, living or dead, who would it be? Oh, man, that's easy. I'd want Matt Samora on here for sure. <laughs> I probably stole sense of legacies, right? But you asked, you asked me first. It would be just so, so cool to talk to a person like that um, and, and hear what they, they have to say. He, I'm going to say another. Well, maybe I shouldn't because there's a second one too. The, after Matt Samora, it's another person whose name starts with an M. That would be the other one that I would want to have on this show. Um, but I'll leave it at that and people can guess who the second one is that starts with an M. So who do you want to go to next? That's just, you know, Hanshi Legacy, Hanshi Legacy. If you could have any person living or dead come on our show, who would it be? I would have said Matsumura because uh, I would have liked to see the progression in martial arts, how they did it at that time and now. But I'd have to go and say, um, um, Itosu. Itosu is um, Sarah Dauphin once said Matsumura built the car and Itosu drove it. So in other words, that was Shorin, how, how Shorin came about to be what it is. I think that Matsumura, like the examples I gave you in their fighting, he did the organizing and then Itosu went out and uh, Prove that his theories actually worked. So there were there were a lot. Uh, I like when we have private conversations. We, Randy and I, always like to say, you know, we we probably have a relationship like lots more in Itosu, but that's that's our swelled heads talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it to I you. I would like I would like to see Shoren at its peak in those days. You know. Um, I guess I have a little bit of time, but uh, my real actual favorite fight was when Itosa was walking home one time and three guys tried to rob him. And uh, we saw the trees there, like I'm almost as tall as the trees in Okinawa, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they have a great big, a lot of strands, not one big trunk, it's a whole bunch of strands, so you can run up. And then the clouds came across the sky and it got dark and then, they, they became confused and, and he jumped up into the tree and they couldn't see him and he dropped down on the guy. Uh, the guy the guy that he dropped on had size and the other guy was attacking him with a bow and he threw the side and embedded into the guy's chest, killed him instantly, went over with no mercy to the guy who was lying on the ground, kicked him in the head so many times that he killed him. And he turned around, looked at the other guy and the other guy. I don't know how he ran. He probably was, you smell what direction he was in. <laughs> he just got out of there. And that's that's how the story even got out. Was, I guess he didn't kill a third guy. So, you know, uh, Okinawan karate, I believe, is, is the epitome of karate because that's where it was invented. They never They never made up, nobody did their second best technique. You know, nobody did the second best 
anything. They did everything that was good because it was done on the street every day. Probably uh, self-defense. So that's why I would like to see when the reason would be those two guys. There are I'm a lot okay. of other, sorry. I'm sorry. There are no. a lot of other people who probably are worthy of that, but in my mind, that's what I would like to see. How about you, Sensusino? Answer the question that you asked us. Yeah, um, living or dead. I mean, focusing on um, no longer with us. It's easy answer, but it's three people for me, um, all of whom occupied the same pivotal period in history. I would love to interview Funakoshi Sensei uh, Kano, Professor Kano, and Ueshiba Morihei, who founded Aikido. They're all in that pivotal time, right when um, Japan kind of went from the warring ways to the to the peaceful ways. Um, they were all founders of martial arts that went on to become world changing. And it would be great to interview them and say, you know, what was it like, you know, like with the questions we asked, I would, I think a, a typical punch kick choke chat interview, starting with, you know, what was it like for you growing up and what was it like in your first dojo? What kept you there? Um, and then with those guys, you know, what changed in the scene? Like what kept you going? And, and when did it become obvious that, you know, you were going to have this massive effect on the world of martial arts? Uh, all three of those guys lived in a real similar period and went through similar changes. I, it's, it would be it would be fascinating to talk to them. So so the other M that I said I I'm since you said three and since I said two I'm going to say one other. I would really like to have Muhammad Ali on this podcast. Having the greatest of all time come on and I just think it would be so much fun. I I think he would enjoy chatting with us based on his personality. I think it would be. Just and it would be so amazing to spend an hour and a half with that that human being. Yeah, I would love to have him on. I look up to him. I idolize him so much, um, and I know Sense of Legacy does too. Not just because of his fighting prowess, which I think he is the greatest, but I just admire him so much as a human being. Like you know, you think about Muhammad Ali. It's funny how you know when he lost to Joe Frazier, got his jaw broke and you know, lost that fight. He was so great after, like when they interviewed him and they're like, are you going to demand a rematch against him? And he just said, I'm not the champ anymore. He's the champ. I'm not in a position to demand anything of him. If he wants to give me a rematch, I, you know, when they said, Oh, you know, this or that, he said, no, I trained hard for this fight. I tried hard. Joe Frazier beat me fair and square. He was the better man tonight. Just stuff like that. Like, guy. Yeah, just you know. Uh, well, and, always, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, yeah, classy. But I mean, he rose out of boxing, right? I mean, he's he, you mentioned him in the same breath as like Mother Teresa and Nelson Mandela. He, he's a he's the most extreme or one of the most extreme examples of that arc we always talk about. How people come in, you know, hard scrabble, a young life, maybe a little rough around the edges, and then their life in martial arts or in his case in boxing, right? uh he he changed the world that was a that was an amazing human being yeah when they asked tyson who the greatest of all time was he didn't say muhammad ali i can't remember who he said i think it and then they said well what about muhammad ali and he looked at the guy and said muhammad ali transcended boxing okay so meaning he he was above the greatest uh, boxers of all time um so i have a question uh one that i know that We've talked about it in private, but I don't think we've ever talked about it on this show. 
is do you feel your martial arts would hold up if you went back in time to the time of Matsumura or the time of Miyamoto Musashi? Do you think the martial artists of today, like where are we in that realm in comparison when you go back? And so, so you know, I'm going to put you on the spot first and I'm going to ask you that question first. Well, if we can, uh, if we can erase 20 years from my from my physical age, <laughs> uh, my martial arts, or the, I think the state of, let, let me address it uh, uh, from judo point of view first. Um, I think uh, judo is like what Hunchy always says about hockey. Um, if you took a, a modern judo champion, they would absolutely destroy somebody from 20 years ago, from 40 years ago. It's not to say that the, um, it's not to say that, uh, well, in some cases, the technical understanding has gotten a lot deeper, but also we have better nutrition, uh, better training, better mental development. Um, so in the sport world, it's clear to me that, that uh, yeah, today's judo is, is light years more. That's not what you asked. <laughs> a, a, a today's judo champion would destroy a judo champion of 20 years ago or 50 years ago. How, how about you at your apex, Sensusuino? Would you go back if you could and compete with everything you know now against what was being done then? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I don't know that I would win, but I'd do it for other reasons, right? I mean, you know, someone comes to you and says, you could go back, uh, you know, and train with, with Professor Kano or some of, the, some of the early legends of judo. I would train with them to experience that, to see what it's like, to see what they were emphasizing. Um, uh, and, and I would compete to see what that experience was like. I don't know if I would win. I'm certainly, I'm certainly not in the top 10% of judo competitors in the world and never have been, but, uh, that doesn't matter. I still have fun. Yeah. But that's the question, right? Is with the top 10 percentage of judo players back then, right? Like let's say a hundred years ago, the top 10. Like there are some, you know, you look at them and you look at the videos of them and you're like, uh, I don't know, like that guy would hold up in any time, right? But what is it now? Like you, maybe you're not in the top 10, but you're, let's say, I don't know, I'll throw, you're in the top 20. So anybody in the top 20 that goes back then, I don't know, I think you'd win. <laughs> you know, like I just, I think you would, I think. I think you'd win. Yeah, I mean, pound for pound, right? Again, judo is a sport too, right? So you need you need uh, you need weight divisions and all that stuff. But assuming, yeah, all apples to apples, everything else being equal, uh, a modern day judo player. I don't I don't know where I am at the at, uh, on that spectrum, but a modern day judo player would definitely be definitely be better. Since Lacey, how about you? If you think are we better would you go back would you go back and fight in the alleys in okinawa if you had the chance to see um do i have to face i guess uh talking about the art itself and uh shoren being a street level art there are a couple of things you have to consider would i take our karate would i go yes i would and do i think we'd have a good chance uh, yes i would but then there would be other things that would overshadow some of that. Like you'd have to think uh, fear because it's, you don't have a referee. We're not kind with each other. The guy'd punch you in the neck, kick you in the groin, break your knees. 
Now, are they more used to doing that than we are? Uh, you know, there's that. And then there's the fear of dying because when you're going in there in those days, when you lost the fight, they buried you on the beach. And that was the end of your story, right? So there are a lot of things to be considered. But as far as uh, the art itself, it's progressive, like the hockey game. We got better at it. We punch better. We deliver better. Um, we're smarter. Uh, maybe we're smarter as human beings. Maybe not. You know, you have guys like Matsumura, who's extremely intelligent. Would you be led into throwing your killer punch and then he would he has some sort of a something up his sleeve because they act, there's the people who actually proved what we do works even though i've been punched in the head by uh john Afit and, and those guys and i went down from their punches so i know what it's like to get hit so i would say the art is better the fighting is better and in the words of Scott Bowen, I've really never, with our karate, the way we've constructed it is, I've never went anywhere where I didn't actually fit in or belong, right? Or where I didn't belong. So I'd have to agree with Sensei uh, Suino that, that we, um, the art has gotten better. And that if we went back, and if you could overcome the fear, which there's only two things that's gonna it's gonna lock you up, and that's fear and pain. So the fear has a lot to do with it. Just just think about it. you're facing Matsumura, and fear kicks in. It's like being uh, hundred stories up, out on a stick somewhere, and you can't move. Your body locks up. Your reaction locks up. So I'm sorry about making it so long, but. There's a lot of things about really having to consider just because it's an older art. Like those guys actually killed other people with punches and kicks. What do you think, Randy? I want to sweep away some of the mysticism. So I think in our minds, like we, as we should, we idolize these people for what they did. But in the beginning, I idolized them for their physicality and that's, I still like, I'm very impressed by that. And I still idolize them for that. But the main thing I idolize Matsumura for today or Funakoshi or Jigeru Kano or Musashi or Yamaguchi Sensei is for their lifelong devotion and discipline in the arts. Like that's the thing I admire the most is that they just, they were tenacious. They stuck with it from the beginning. They were not quitters. They went all the way to the end. They took it from sometimes birth to death. So that's why I like admire them. If you sweep away the stories and things like that, and I'm not, I have reverence for Matsumura, but he's a man. He's a human being. He's got two arms and two legs. And since legacy, you fought men on the street where you could have died who had two arms and two legs. You've faced that fear. I've, I've been there and had a couple of tussles with people who they meant me harm and they meant to do things to me. I would like to go back. I would like to go back there. I would like to fight and see, does the karate hold up? Like, 
and if I if I learned my lesson, that's great. If I lost that, I I wouldn't go thinking, even if whatever, like I was hurt, great gravious bodily harm, that'd be a good lesson to learn. And then teleport yourself back to here now and know what you need to do to to make things different or better, or know that no, we're doing great and we've moved this along. And like you said, Sensei, you're the punches and kicks, the body dynamics, they're, you know. And then on the sword side, even like I know again, that's life and death, but it would, I don't know, like let's remove live blades. I it's hard to say it with a bokken because Musashi killed lots of people with a bokken too, but it would still, it would still. I'd like to go do some bokken fencing against somebody and see like. Are we bigger? Are we faster? Does our technique hold up? Like, is our strategy as I, it's just a question that plagues me. And not only to back to 500 years ago, you know, since legacy, it's, it's plagued me even about your day, right? Like the blood and guts era of karate tournaments. I'd want to go back. I would want to go back and compete. I, I would want to, I'd want to get in there against those people and either see if my karate held up or take my licks personally. But I'm the young one on the call, right? I'm, yeah. I'm the young 51 year old. So there were a lot of, there were a lot of great fighters back in that time, but you know, what we do have now is the MMA. Like there was a lot of, talk back in the day, well, this art's better than that one, this is better than that one. And I've said this before, where are they now? Karate guys are in there, jiu-jitsu guys are in there. That's all I'm gonna say. But the guys who said, oh, karate is this, karate is that. Well, karate is in there now. And it's time for no talking. It's time for going in there and showing it. So you decide. In your own mind, go watch the MMA and see how many of those jumping around guys or circling guys or whoever they are out there. When it comes down to you're facing the guy, he's going to knock your ass out. That's what I meant by the, the certain fear or hesitation uh, that when you're in a fight, you just, it's just for a fraction of a second, right? And if you doubt or you have fear or you hesitate, then it's a different thing. You lose your life. Well, here's something. Imagine if you took Mike Tyson and teleported him back and said, you're oh. going to fight Rocky Marciano. I mean, the rock is the rock. You got to look up to the guy. But I think Tyson would get him out of there in like one hard shot to any part of his body and that would be the end of that fight in my opinion <laughs> yeah well, he's the guy i would least want to be hit by <laughs> Mike Tyson, right? he scares me the most i hit i seen him hit a guy in the chest one day i'm giving him a body shot with a glove on the camera was over his shoulder and you see the guy going through the ropes <laughs> he landed on the floor on the cement floor i went Oh, like Holly, Ali was good, but he never packed the power that Mike Tyson. It just comes from the floor, right, right up into the guy. So imagine you drop him into like eighteen hundred Okinawa into 
the red light district and two guys come after them <laughs> because <laughs> and they're five foot two and they weigh 122 pounds right like yeah i never considered that but uh, mike tyson's a scary human being when he hits you when when he's into his he's into his boxing and not doing others other stuff i remember um when i was a kid my uncle took me to Madison Square Garden to watch some boxing matches, and there were like three heavyweight matches. And even at that age, I don't know, I was a young teenager or something. It was remarkable. We were sitting, you know, halfway up in the far seats. And when those guys hit each other, you could feel it where we were sitting. You know what I mean? And those were, you know, that was back in like the early 70s. That, there was no Tyson in those days. You could, I mean, you just can't even imagine how hard that guy hits. He's scary. I'm, yeah. I, I'm scared of him when I see him on TV. <laughs> I'd really like to be able to just like shake hands with that guy. And you know what else we have besides, you know, the fact that we have the MMA and the broadcast, we can watch them. We also have tons of closed circuit TV of real life attacks, right? And so it's much harder to create a legend where none exists. You know, if you want reality and you don't mind lying awake at night because of all the horrible shit you just watched, you can see a lot of what real fighting looks like, right? Whether it be weapons or un, or no weapons, um, and draw some real important conclusions about what the best strategies are. You want to see 100%. some nice knockouts? I'm sorry, were you done? Oh, I just said 100%. Yeah. If you want to see some nice knockouts, punch in Jean-Yves Theriot's knockouts. Oh, yes, sir. Punch that in, and you're going to go, holy crap. I mean... That guy was also, he just finished you off. He'd occupy your arms and then he hit you with a roundhouse kick. And most of them were not his foot, they were his shin. And you can imagine how hard that surface is. Just, guys are just dropping under, underneath him. So. Yeah, it's it was like, just real nice, real nice martial arts fighting. The good news for that too is that it's not just one or two. You get to watch like 10 minutes of knockouts in a row when you watch oh. that because he fought like what 74 times, he won 69 times, and he knocked out like 62 people. <laughs> he only went the distance like five times. He knocked everybody else out. Yeah. The cool That's thing is he even knocked people out. There's a number of good body shots where he knocked a person out with a body shot. He hit them kicked them so hard in the body that they just like crumpled over and couldn't get back up again. Good old New Brunswick boy. Yeah. <laughs> and we all, we all know him now. He's been on this show. Yeah. He's yeah. the nicest guy. But, you know, underneath all that, you can tell, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be impolite to this guy. <clears throat> so we have five minutes left and I think one more ask me anything question came in. Since so, you know, do you want to tee that up or do you want me to? I'm happily happy to tee it up. It's a question I like very much. So our final question of the evening is, if you were to go to a desert island and you can only take one book with you, what book would that be? Hanchi, what do you think? Ah. Uh... <laughs> Uh, 
Listen, Sensei, we're allowed to change the rules of the question. You can say two or three books if you want. <laughs> well, you know, because, uh, <clears throat> I mean, that question would say, well, would that be a book that you want to read or one that you've read or you'd be reading all the time or, or what? But my favorite book leads, leads me back, of course, to Richard Kim. I like The Weaponless Warrior because it, it gives you history in and sort of an enjoyable atmosphere where Itosu's he he fights and Matsumura and Yabukensu and, and different peoples like that. Uh, and if, but if I wanted to, um, Sun Tzu, uh, Book of Five Rain, Five Rains, Gorin No Shiro, um, I would like this person, you know, just to, because a lot of a lot of it is fighting strategy that um, that suits any type of fighting. You know, like uh, for instance, if if you're going to battle someone and there's a distance between you, say there was a guy in Sarnia who wanted to fight me, I would let him come to me. I wouldn't go there. Okay, and in using that same strategy. If you and I are standing there facing each other and we're two and a half feet apart, is it easy for me to step in and hit the guy or wait for him to move in so I can just block and counter or just hit him? So you, you can use your mind on that. You can see that they, even though they're different distances, that still holds true. That it's the guy who's coming in who's in more danger than the guy who's waiting. So. You know, I like that. One is about the stories about the history and the other one is actual application. What do you think, Randy? You got a book or more? Uh, so I like the ones that Sense Legacy uh, picked. Um, you know, the books, I, I if I was going to, I'm going to preface it by saying if I'm going to a desert island and I have to read it over and over again, I'd be picking a book that's going to stimulate different thoughts in my mind over and over again. So on that note, that's why I think the Book of Five Rings is a good one. You can read that a thousand times and get new thoughts every single time you read it. Um, you know, so Zen Flesh, Zen Bones is would be one that I, I might pick. Um, then more modern books like that people don't think as martial arts books, a book I read every single year. I, I've read it every single year is uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. It's, oh, yeah. it's an easy book to read because it's mostly pictures of seagulls. <laughs> yeah, Richard Bach wrote that book. If you ever read that book, it really stimulates a lot of thinking about how you live your life and how you pursue passion and how you level up in life and how you distance yourself from people who want you to do things that you don't want to do. So I really like that book. Another one by Richard Bach that I, I like is, you know, uh, uh, Illusions, Memoirs of a Reluctant Messiah. And that book is about, you know, the current, the current Messiah doesn't want to do it anymore. So he's going to train another guy to become yeah. the Christ. And he trains them within two weeks how to do it. <laughs> right. So and again, you read that book, it's constantly stimulating new, new thoughts in your, in your mind when you read it. Um, so those are the ones that, that I would pick. In addition to um, the elite fighter, 
the manual, <laughs> Ishin Ryu, the manual of Iaido, and all of Census Fino's books. It's hard to pick just one. How about you, Census Fino? Uh, so I'm going to stick with the call to question, which is it has to be a book you're going to read over and over again. Um, and I have three, two of which you guys have already mentioned. I'll mention them again. But the number one for me is The Unfettered Mind, which is uh, the teachings of Takuan Soho, who's a Buddhist monk who supposedly taught Miyamoto Musashi. Um, and I've probably read that a dozen times. Um, and I hope I have time to read it a dozen more times before I leave this earth. Um, and then um, on the stack of books, the two below that are The Book of Five Rings. Um, I've read that. I've read several different uh, translations of that, including I read it once when I was in Japan in the original old style Japanese, which was a hard row, but it was a really cool process to read. Um, and then uh, uh, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones is my favorite Zen book of all time. Uh, it's not only entertaining, but it gets you it gets to you in a, in a clever way. Right. It doesn't lecture to you. It tells by telling stories. So if, if, if I'm going to squeeze my question open a little bit, you can take three books. <laughs> I'd take it three. And those are the ones. Well, just staple them together so that they're one book. <laughs> <laughs> I, have absolutely, I have absolutely read every one of those books, The Unfeathered Mind. All of those books you mentioned, I've read. Love them. Great books. I wonder if that works with St. Peter. Like, can you sneak some snacks into heaven if you put them all in the same bag or something? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, no, St. Peter, that's some cookies. <laughs> well, uh, we, we have hit it, Census Fino. We have hit it. So, yes, sir. Uh, we can do a brief around the horn and then I'll end with a, what's coming up next week. So, since Lacey, any thoughts about tonight? Yeah, sometimes we're a bit stretched for, uh, it's good that we have an audience and, and that they participate. And, Sometime, you know, if if we bring ideas up in your mind, you should write it down. It could be happening during the week. If you're a regular, you know, and you come in here, you want to help us out a little bit, um, do that. You may run across something during the week. Just write down the questions, send them in to us so that we can make our program more interesting to you because you are the people who show up for us. Thanks, that's Lacey. There's some cool, cool thematic patterns, right, that we're talking about. I love the fact um, that we keep cycling through history and recognize how important the history is to what we're doing today and how many lessons we can learn from those guys who spent their life focused on martial arts, just like we do. And hopefully we'll leave behind some uh, clues as well, right, whether it's our books or our teachings or the, the things that our students remember about us. Um, and to those on the call who are interested in learning about martial arts, you know, keep those books in mind that we're talking about because every important conversation I've ever had with significant martial artists in the last 50 years, there's a list of about eight or 10 or 12 books and they keep getting mentioned over and over again. There's no accident. You know, make sure you've read those books if you want to consider yourself serious. Thanks. Including, including Jonathan Livingston Siegel, that is his end book. You know, like I remember reading that in school somewhere. Mm -hmm. So the thing I want to say about tonight is this is kind of, you know, Miss Benson, really happy for him. But this is in the truest sense how Punch Kick Choke Chat started. 
based on the conversations that I've been having with Sensei Legacy and Sensei Suino and the conversations we've been having together. And to me, these host chats are easy. It is so easy to do this with the two of you. Just sit down. And this is if, for people watching or if you watch this on YouTube, these are the types of conversations we have all the time when we're together. Like, um, I, it occurred to me that one of my favorite things about the May training camp is when I came downstairs for, from Christine and I's home and I walked downstairs and Sensei Legacy and Sensei Sweeney were just sitting on the sofa, on our sofa, having coffee and just having a conversation like this. They're just sitting there, just chatting away. Um, I love this. I, I love this format. Um, so that's a thought that I have. Um, and just how easy it is. That's the other thought that I have. And how much I learn and how much it reinforces my own thinking and challenges my own thinking when we're talking about these things. Right. I just love it. So sadly, this is the end of this podcast. So we're going to be logging out, but um, I'm good. Listen, I don't have Benson's notes in front of me and we depend on him to do things. So I'm going to ask the two of you to chip in. We need to thank people like Robert Schlumsky. That guy puts in so much effort into the show behind the scenes. We all love that guy. We've known him forever. Outstanding martial artist, great human being. He's also working on stuff all the time that we're not even paying attention to that. He just all of a sudden says, Hey, I think I got us a sponsor. Hey, I think this is happening now. He's just, Hey, I've put us on a new, a new podcast platform. So want to thank him for that. Then, you know, Justin Shea, Alden Adair, um, Jesse Vito, uh, Vile, um, Mike Andre, Russell. sorry, uh, Mike Russell, Andre Sedeshev. These people, like, they're the ones that you're seeing posts come out. It's not us. We don't, we can't possibly do the volume of work that's being done by the people who, who are putting that out. So we really got to thank them. I also want to mention, if you have not gone to our new website yet, please go check it out. We're implementing things on there. You'll see, you can find easily all of the podcasts and some of the ones, the short forms and the micros are on there. It's, it's all there. Robert just lit it up down there. So you can go, if you think it's a good website, please share it out. It wouldn't offend any of us if all of a sudden we saw a Facebook post from one of you that said, hey, check this website out, check this podcast out. Um, these, are, these are small things that incrementally make a big impact. If you do a like, if you write a comment about something, if you provide a thought, your comment could just be building on something that that helps if you do those things. So please, if you can and you want to, we really appreciate it. And next week, again, Stephen K. Hayes, the American Ninja, we're going to have him on next Thursday. And that's just as a result of just a cold call reaching out and saying, hey, Master Hayes, we've got this podcast. Do you want to come on? Yeah, I know what your podcast is. I've listened to it. So that makes you feel good. You're when people are saying, Yeah, we know what your podcast is. So next week, that's who we're going to be having on. And thanks, everybody. Mostly thanks to all of you for joining in and liking and subscribing and tuning in. Really grateful. This is a lot of fun. We don't intend to stop doing it anytime soon. So please keep coming back. Thanks. Thanks, so everybody. Thanks. That's, you know. Thank you. Thanks, Archie. Rock and roll. Great night, everybody.